It's good to see y'all. Welcome to everyone who is also watching on our LaGrange campus. And if you're watching online, I'm so glad that we're all going to be here today to learn about what the Lord is teaching us. We're in the middle of our summer series called Two Tickets to Paradise. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at this paradise that God offers us. And today what we'll be looking at is that we're actually offered a false paradise from sin. But before we jump into that, this is going to help us understand this. How many of y'all have been on a vacation by show of hands, and when you got there, it looked nothing like the pictures? Okay, a a lot of you. Just raise your hand. Uh, Lauren and I are, next month, we're celebrating our 10-year wedding anniversary, and so we've been planning just a little couple-night trip uh, by ourselves to get away. And if you're like me, we research hundreds of reviews. Okay, and you end up confusing yourself half the time, don't you? You read everything and you're like, now I don't even know where I want to go anymore. Let's just not even do a vacation. And, but in our research, I've read many funny reviews and that prompted me to look up some of the funniest reviews uh, I could online. Here's one for you. We booked an excursion to a water park, but no one told us we had to bring our swimsuit and towels. Really? I can picture a dad like going down a water slide in cargo shorts and a polo. All right, what about this one? The beach was too sandy. What did you expect? I like this one. No one told us there would be fish in the sea. The children were startled. It's their home. I bet you startled the fish. This one, I, yeah, this is crazy. We found the sand was not like the sand in the brochure. The brochure shows the sand is yellow, but it was white. Is yellow sand like yellow snow? I don't want to be walking in yellow sand. And then the last one. We bought Ray-Ban sunglasses for five euros from a street trader only to find out they were fake. Of course they were fake. You're not getting real Ray-Bans for that price. But let me ask you this. Isn't this the same false paradise that sin offers us? We get the brochure, we look at it, and we're like, oh, but the, the pictures don't look like, like what it said it was going to be. I didn't enjoy my, my time there. I regret making that decision to go there. You see, as I was thinking about this idea of the false paradise that, that sin offers us, I also started thinking about a mirage. Do you remember as a kid, or maybe they still have these cartoons, where the, the cartoon character would somehow get lost in the desert? And it seems like all hope would be lost, but then it would look out over the horizon and it would see this water oasis. The cartoon character would run, jump in, start drinking the water, then it would flip over and he's just pouring sand into his mouth. You actually might experience some form of a mirage on the way home today. When you're driving, due to the heat and lighting conditions, you may look ahead of you and it looks like there's water. It looks like you're about to be driving into a lake. But we know that's not true. You see, but this is what sin does. We think we're seeing clearly when actually sin is projecting a false truth, false pleasure, and a false paradise in our life. So how do we recognize these false paradises and not fall into these traps? I want us to look at three chapters today in the fascinating book of Daniel. If you've never read the book of Daniel, it is absolutely incredible. I want to encourage you to go and read it. I I know you will enjoy it. But let me give you a uh, brief history and background on the book of Daniel. We find this book in the major prophet portion of the Old Testament. In 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar comes and uh, takes over, he conquers Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar decided to take some of the, the holy articles from the house of God, and then it says he also commanded his army 
to take what they kind of describe as the best and brightest of the youngest generation from Jerusalem. You see, Babylon knew that if they could infiltrate this young generation, then it would change that culture for decades and decades. Daniel and his friends, who we're going to be reading about today, scholars say they're between the age of 13 and 17 in this first chapter. And what we learn is that Daniel ultimately served as a prophet from 605 to 535 B.C. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into this. God Almighty, Lord, we know that in our weakness you are strong. In Jesus right now, Lord, I pray that you would open our ears, open our hearts and our minds to what you want to teach us today. Lord, may my words be your words. In your name we pray. Amen. So how is this going to apply to us today? You see, Babylon was greatly feared, and they were known for being a culture of excess. Uh, you know, what, it's going to, what we're going to see this morning is that every day we face our own type of Babylon. You see, Babylon represents us, these self-centered appetites, these choices, the indulgences, these attitudes, and an influence that the world and sin is trying to push on us. And today we're going to be learning how to fight those false paradises of sin, just like Daniel and his friends did while they were in Babylon. Let's look at Daniel chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1. We'll read through 5. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put the treasure... And put it in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, king of the court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well informed, quick to understanding, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter into the king's service. If you're taking notes, write down the word control. What we're going to be learning today is that Babylon in this story and the philosophy of Babylon as we're applying it to our life is all about taking control. And we must understand that in our life, we either give control to God or we give control to sin. There's no in-between. Let's look at what the New Testament tells us in Matthew 12, 30. Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me. What about James 4, 4? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Control is a theme we see all throughout the book of Daniel. And even though Babylon was trying to control Daniel and his friends, we're going to learn that God always had sovereign control. You may be asking yourself, but okay, how is God in control? They were just taken to a, a foreign land, a faraway country, and they're exiles. Well, let's look at what we just read in Daniel 1-2. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. We must understand that even in the moments that we don't think are going well, even in bad times, even when we're going down a journey that we don't think we're supposed to be going down, God is in control. But just as the exiles here, we know we don't live in a bubble. And we live in a lost world. And the choices of sin are constantly surrounding us. So how do we commit to letting God keep control of our lives? Let's see what we can learn from uh, Daniel 1, 4 and 5. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine to the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter into the king's service. 
You see, the Babylonian culture acts very much like how sin acts today. The Babylons, they wanted to brainwash Daniel and his friends. It says they even changed their names. This is one way that you can even just, as you're looking through commentaries and readings, that, that they wanted to brainwash them to where they think that they're now part of a different culture. And sin tries to brainwash us through a slow process so it can take control. The slow process for Daniel and his friends was going to be three years like we just read. But Babylon, what they didn't understand is they were trying to control the environment. The environment Daniel and his friends were in. But Daniel had already given control of his heart to God. You see, when we give control of our heart to God, then our heart affects the environment instead of the environment affecting your heart. This is important for us to understand today. Now listen, I do want to say this. There's some environments you may find yourself in that you need to leave, that you need to change. It might be a relationship. It might be wherever you're at that you know that that's not where you're supposed to be. But sometimes we find ourselves in situations that we really can't control. Take, for example, school. We, we learned that Daniel's friends were between the age of 13 and 17 and what we're reading right here. Maybe the age of some of you students in here today. You couldn't decide, like, hey, I'm going to go to school, and I'm just going to go to the principal and tell him, like, hey, the influences here are bad on me. Um, you know, I, I'm just going to quit. I'm out. That's not really an option. But this is why the world tells us, and when we're in situations like this, that we are to be a light in the world. That we're to live in the world, but not of the world. But the Babylonians were smart, just like sin and the enemy. They were going to try to insert their control through a slow, what looked like, non-evasive process. Have you ever gotten to the point in your life where you're like, how did I get here? What decisions did I make to get me to this point? You see, sin introduces us to an action that doesn't seem too far off from the direction we're already going. It seems maybe like a small compromise. And then it'll introduce us to another action because it's going to build on that foundation that maybe the first go around you would have said, no, that's a little too far out there. Sin is smart, but we have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We have a relationship with God Almighty that when we release control to him, we can see these things coming in our life. You know, people will sit down and talk with me, and they'll say, here's what I'm struggling with. And I'll ask, okay, how did you get here? And they'll say, it started out as nothing, or it was something so small. The enemy wants to use those small things to turn it into a big thing. You see, sin will try to point us to, to a spot to where we're willing to rationalize or rank our sin. This is important. Don't we live in a culture that seems to rationalize or rank the sin that we might struggle with? Listen, we aren't, we're not ordering like a small, medium, or large meal from Chick-fil-A with our sin, okay? Have you ever heard someone go, oh, it's just a small lie? This is what the enemy wants us to do. If we find ourselves at a point where we are willing to rationalize our sin, a red flag should go up. We should never define a sin as small, medium, or large. We should define it as wrong. We have to be willing to do this in our life. And you know, maybe you feel like you've been attacked for the last three days. Maybe you feel like you've been brainwashed for the last three weeks, three months, or three years like Daniel and his friends were about to be. We're in a persistent battle with sin and the enemy is patient. But listen, this isn't, I don't say that to scare us because we serve a God who, as we just saying, fights for us. Look at what the New Testament says in Luke 9, 23. Then he said to all of them, 
Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. We are in a daily battle, but we have our God fighting for us. This is something we have to wake up every day and say, God, I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to pursue your plan, your purpose. You know, the end of verse 5 in Daniel 1 says the whole reason that the king wanted to train Daniel and his friends was so they could enter into the king's service. What they didn't know was Daniel was already in the king's service. He was in the king of kings, the God Almighty, Jehovah. He was serving that king. Now's a good time to ask yourself this question, who or what controls your life? Because when God has control, it doesn't matter necessarily the circumstances or the situation. When we rely on God, we quit relying on self. If you're taking notes, write down this next theme, which is conviction. Daniel 1.8 plays a very important role, not only in this story, but in the whole book of Daniel. I love this verse. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Underline that if you can. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Resolve means determination or to decide firmly on a course of action or to act on a conviction. You see, this was the first key decision Daniel made was to live with conviction. Our first decision a lot of times determines the course of our steps. But you may be calling, man, I've made some bad first decisions in my life. It's not too late. Let's have resolve like Daniel. Look at a way another version describes this verse. It says to purpose in his heart. That Daniel purposed in his heart. Proverbs teaches us another way of understanding this. In 423, it says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. You see, a strong foundation means a strong faith. It means strong convictions. Daniel knew that what was in his heart had to be set in motion through his convictions. Daniel decided in this moment not to let a craving for an appetite compromise his conviction for what was right. You look at this. We're talking about the false paradise of sin. Daniel and his friends are taken as exiles to a different country. They don't throw them in jail. What do they do? They put them with royalty and they offer them, hey, here's like steak and potatoes. It doesn't sound that bad, does it? But Daniel knew it wasn't what the Lord wanted him to do. So let me ask you, what figurative food is the enemy offering you today? What appetite is the enemy trying to get you to indulge in? When we are tempted, proper resolve leads to positive results. You see, the paradise of sin always tries to get us to compromise our convictions. And the enemy will test your conviction with what looks like an acceptable alternative. He's not always going to throw something crazy off the wall out there that you instantly go, no, I'm not doing that. He's going to tempt us with an acceptable alternative. But listen, with sin, any compromise is a bad compromise. Any compromise is a bad compromise. You know, when we're tempted with sin, we're not taking a multiple choice test. This isn't a scantron. It's yes or no, God or sin. We can't try to create something in between. 
When we stand in our convictions, even in what the world sees acceptable, God will do the supernatural. This is what Daniel did. No one was probably going to judge him for that. Go ahead, eat it. But just because the world saw it as acceptable didn't mean it was right. Daniel stood on his convictions and what looked like acceptable so God would do the supernatural. And this is what we see. This is the story of Daniel's life. Let's look at Daniel 1, 9 through 14. It says, Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. One of the first decisions that sin is going to try to make you figure out is do I care more about what the world thinks or what God thinks. We see right here this official, this guard, and, and Daniel both answered that question. The guard saw the worldly consequences. Daniel saw the spiritual consequences. You see, Daniel was so confident in God that he was willing to place himself in a perceived position of weakness so that God could reveal his power. This official's going, man, you're going to be weak after these days. What do you mean you don't want to eat anything? And, and Daniel's thinking, my God sustains me. My God provides for me. You see, when we are responsible to God for our actions, God is responsible for the outcome. Can I say that again? When we are responsible to God for our actions, God is responsible for the outcome. I don't want to be in control of my life. If I'm, if I'm responsible for the own outcome of my life, then man, it's going to be rough. But if I know the sovereign God, the creator of the universe, is responsible for the outcome of my life, then man, God, here's, my, here's control of my life. Here's my convictions. Here's my trust. You see, the official thought he was testing the servants when he was testing the master. He was testing God. That's who he was testing in this moment. I want to go back a few verses because I think as Christians, we have something very important to learn here. Let's look back again at Daniel 1.8. It says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. You see, I was so focused on this word resolve. It's such a rich word, and there was so much depth and meaning behind it. But then the Lord said, look at the second half of that verse. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Why would Daniel do this? Why would he ask for a human's permission? Was it because he was going to be disobedient to God? No. Listen, this is what we need as Christians. Let's all hone in. Whether we're sitting here, LaGrange online, hone in. Daniel understood the correct approach brought the proper attention to his actions. This is something I think we need to understand. You see, growing up, I remember hearing the word tact. It was used like this. You may be right, but show some tact. I was like, what does that mean? Am I supposed to tack something to the wall? Do you know what tact means? It's sensitivity in dealing with others or with difficult issues. A synonym is understanding. Look at what, look at what God did for, for Daniel and his friends. Daniel 1.17. 
To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Listen, I pray as Christians that we learn to tactfully live in our culture. That we would pray God would give us understanding like he did to Daniel and his friends. A note my study Bible said this. Daniel and his friends learned all they could about their new culture so they could do their work with excellence. But while they learned, they maintained steadfast allegiance to God and God gave them skill and wisdom. Culture need not be God's enemy. If it does not violate his commands, it can aid in accomplishing his purpose. We who follow God are free to be competent leaders in our culture, but we're required to pledge our allegiance to God first. That's strong right there. I can't help, as I hear conversations, I look at the news, a lot of times Christians want to curse the culture. When God has told us to go into the culture, be the light of the world, represent Jesus and his love, be in the world, but not of the world. Let's be a people who impact our culture. You know, in living out the Christian lifestyle in a lost world, please hear this. People should feel the love of Christ, not the condemnation of our convictions. I want people to feel the love of Christ through the way I live my life. You know, there may be times where you're faced with a difficult conversation or situation. You may be out with friends or on a business trip, and all of a sudden you find yourself in this situation that you really didn't have much control over, much like Daniel. And you have a very important choice to make in that moment. Do I blend in or do I stand on my convictions? Now, I know this is tough because you may be wondering, like, okay, how do I do this? I don't want my friends, my, my family, my coworkers, the, the other people at school, I don't want them to feel like I'm judging them. This is something I hear a lot. Listen, convictions that aren't covered in love are called judgmental. Let's be real. This is so relevant in the world we live in today. Daniel could have handled this situation totally different. They come and they put this food in front of Daniel. He could have smacked it off the table. I can't believe y'all live this way. What in the world? You need, what are you doing with your life? But Daniel realized that his approach allowed his voice to be heard. Look what the New Testament tells us in Romans 2, 4. It says, God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. The New Living Translation says it this way. Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? If the love and kindness of Christ is what brings us to repentance, then as Christians, we must first communicate kindness before conviction. Wow, I feel like it's easy to get this backwards sometimes. But we should first focus on treating people right before being right. If we want people to listen, we first have to love. It sounds so simple, but it's also so difficult. When we sit down with that coworker or that family member we've been praying with for years, first ask yourself before you open your mouth, have I loved this person? When I look at Jesus through the New Testament, he was constantly loving people. And then he showed them the way to eternal life. 
What we understand is this when we look at verse 4. Then Daniel then said, test your servants. You know what this shows me? That Daniel saw his convictions as an opportunity to set an example, not be exclusive. Daniel wanted to change his culture. He wanted to set the example in this moment. He could have walked out. He could have smacked the food away. But he wanted to set an example for the way to live. So let me ask you this. Does the way you live, the beliefs you hold, the convictions you have, do they set an example for the people in your life? Daniel's approach is what afforded him an audience. Just a few verses later in 15 and 16, we find the official now agrees with Daniel's conviction. Daniel presented his convictions in a way that this official was willing to wait and watch if God was going to come through for Daniel. Are you shocked that at such a young age, Daniel made these decisions? He had a lot of wisdom for such a young person. But listen, I can't help but think Daniel had made these decisions before. Good decisions don't happen on accident. Daniel had built his life on the foundation of his God so that when he was put in these scenarios, he made the right choice. Please hear this. Convictions aren't decisions made in the moment. They are a lifestyle practiced every day. If you find yourself, you're like, man, I wish I would have made a different choice in that moment. I want to ask you, what choice did you make the day before that? What choice did you make the day before that? To spend time with the Lord, to grow in your faith. I love sports, and I, I think of it this way with a sports analogy. Where is a game won? On the practice field. That is where a game is won. That's where you hone your skill. You learn the plays. You memorize what you're supposed to. But I fear that sometimes as Christians, we go out into the world, and we haven't put the practice time in. We place ourselves in a game scenario, and all of a sudden we're like, I hope this works. When God is saying, spend time with me daily, grow in your relationship, that way, when you're faced with the enemy, you can stand firm in who I told you you are, in who I am, and in the love and the promises of God. So to be like Daniel, like we read earlier, we first must prepare our heart to be able to purpose our heart. You know, if you're tired of going back on convictions and falling into temptation, this false paradise that sin is offering, we have to prepare our heart for what God wants to do. You know, I want to say this because I think this kind of wraps up this point and leads us into what's next, very important. Convictions should be centered around pleasing God, not performing works. So as you're thinking through these convictions in your life, the way the Bible tells you to live, the way you want to please the Lord, we have to ask ourselves, Am I doing this to please the Lord or perform works? We have to have those in the right order. When this is true, we learn one more thing. We're going to be looking at, if you're taking notes, write down character. To bring together what we've learned in these passages of Daniel, when we give God control of our lives, it leads to proper convictions. Acting correctly on those convictions develops godly character. I want to talk about character through two very iconic stories in the book of Daniel. In chapter 3, we find King Nebuchadnezzar has just fallen off his, his rocker. He builds a massive image, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. 
And he said, whoever doesn't bow down to this image and worship it when the music plays, you're going to be sentenced to death in a fiery furnace. Sounds a little dramatic, right? Let's jump into Daniel chapter 3, 7 through 8. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. The reason they did this is because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused. They had too much character. They refused in this moment, so people brought them forward and said, Hey, King Nebuchadnezzar, these guys refused. What are you going to do about it? Can you imagine the thousands of people around? And in that moment, everybody bows down, and these three guys are standing there. Maybe this is how you feel in your life sometimes. At your job or at school, wherever it may be. You may feel like you are the only one standing alone. But listen, never let the pressure of the crowd dictate the course of your character. God sees you. Many times the pressure of isolation and loneliness seem overbearing. This probably would have been a very lonely moment for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But what we're about to see is that in what looks like our greatest moments of isolation, God is always on our side. When the enemy threatens you with isolation, God is extending an invitation. Draw unto me. I'm all you need. I'm here for you. This is the God that we serve. You know, when we're surrounded by people who are bowing down to the pressures of the world, I pray, I pray that we would be a people who stand confident in Christ. Confident in his character and his convictions and his love and his purpose and in his plan. So we see this, uh, that they refuse to bow down. They get brought before King Nebuchadnezzar. And he's ticked. He's mad. It says that his mind changed about these guys. So he's so mad, he says, heat the furnace seven times hotter than it normally is. Just to give you an image of how hot this is, it says the soldiers that were heating the furnace up died when they got too close to it. And then he says, all right, tie them up. Let's throw them in the furnace. And in that moment, when, those, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fall into the furnace, it says that King Nebuchadnezzar goes, what's happening? Didn't we throw three guys in the furnace? Now all of a sudden I see four. Who is that? He runs up and says, guys, come on out. Come on out. And what we realize in this moment is we get to rely on the character of our God when we stand in the character he's called us to. Look at what King Nebuchadnezzar says. He calls them out. These guys don't even smell like fire. Nothing's burned on them. King Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angels, his angel, and rescued his servant. I want to ask you something. If you're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you're, you know, all of a sudden you're tied up, you see these soldiers die, what reaction would you have? I don't, I mean, in that moment, would anyone have really blamed them for kind of compromising, backing down from their character? What if those guys, they were like, they were walking tied up and they, they look at each other and they kind of whisper, hey, let's bow down but not mean it. Do we ever address sin like that in our life? hey, I, I know this is kind of blending in, but I'm going to bow down and not mean it. 
Let's be a people who stand confident in our God. You see, sin will try to use your circumstances to intimidate you, but character built on the faithfulness of God will empower you. Let's look at one more story in Daniel 6. We find another example of character. It's about 30 years later. Daniel's a little bit older now. A different king has come in. And, and this king decides that, uh, that Daniel is, is worthy of becoming like an administrator. Okay, And so what makes all these other officials mad that are from Babylon is, how are you going to take an exile and make him an administrator, give him power over us? They didn't understand it. They were, they were mad. They wanted Daniel gone. And so they're trying to find a way to trap Daniel. They can't figure anything out. He's such a good guy. And then they realize that Daniel loves his God. Let's convince the king to, to make a law that, that says that no one can pray to anyone else except the king for 30 days. We know that'll get Daniel. So let's pick up. I'm going to read pretty quickly here. This is Daniel 6, starting in verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human except you, your majesty, will be thrown to the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes, Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then he said to the king, Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the d- decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the ring of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him. And he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. I see something stated here multiple times that is very important. Look at verse 10. Three times a day, Daniel got down on his knees and prayed just as he had done before. Verse 13, he still prays three times a day. Verse 16, may your God whom you serve continually. Verse 20, Daniel, servant of God, has your God whom you serve continually. Listen, character and convictions are built on consistency. We have to have this consistent relationship in our life with Jesus if we want to stand on character and conviction. Consistency is what gave Daniel the strength to serve God whether he was standing in the palace or in the lion's den. Because when you're consistent with the Lord, you see the consistency of God, of his faithfulness, of his love, of his power. But yet again, we see through the lion's den and what was stated earlier about the fiery furnace that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in the world's eyes, probably had a reasonable compromise to save their lives. But these men refused to compromise their character and conviction. If you only walk away with one thing today, Please hear this. The captivity of sin is disguised in comfortable compromise. 
give you a second to think about that one. The captivity of sin is disguised in comfortable compromise. You look at this and you're thinking, you might be thinking, Daniel, I mean, just for 30 days, don't pray. For 30 days, pray in your head while you're around everybody. Daniel wasn't going to back off because he knew his God was going to come through for him. When God revealed this next part to me, as I was preparing for my message, I started clapping in my office. People probably thought I was crazy. All right, I want to go back and read one more time, Daniel 6, 16 through 17. It says this. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring, with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. You know what? Some of you may be sitting in here today or in LaGrange or at home or on vacation. You're thinking your situation cannot be changed. Maybe someone has looked at you in your past and said, your situation cannot be changed. Maybe you've listened to the enemy for far too long, like nothing can change in my life, or you're believing a lie. Listen, the love of God can change any situation. And the love of God is here for you today. God is calling out to you. Let me change your life. Because listen to this. Listen, I know another man who had a stone rolled in front of his grave. I know another man who that grave was sealed. I know another man that people looked at him and said, now his situation can't be changed. But I know a man named Jesus who rolled that stone away, who said, I can change any circumstance or any situation. Do you have a relationship with this man? Jesus is the son of God. He saw us in our sin. He saw us when we struggle with our convictions. None of us are perfect. He sees us right now. And he knew the mistakes we were making, yet he still came to this earth and he died on a cross for me and you. He took the punishment that we deserved. Sin was leading us to eternal death, but Jesus said, I came to bring you eternal life. Listen, I want to tell you this. Just like Daniel, every day we enter a lion's den. Satan is like a roaring lion. This is what the Bible tells us. He's trying to devour us. He's trying to devour your purpose, your hope, your dreams. Why are you trying to fight the lion alone? The enemy can try whatever he wants. He can roll a stone in front of you. He can seal it off. People can look at you and say, your situation will never change. You're a lost cause. But today, God is looking at you. Because just like how that king rolled away the stone and called out to Daniel, has your God saved you? Jesus rolled away the stone, and God has opened up heaven, and he's reaching down saying, I can save you. This is our God, and this is the life we get to lead. 